0: Meditation is something that we use just like we would to train the body. Except we're using it to train the mind. So everything we do should be seen as some kind of development. Some kind of exercise. And just like with physical exercise we start with something very simple. Because our body is not yet accustomed to the work to the task. The same when, we've, when we train the mind, when we give the mind a workout. We start with something very simple, say the rising and the falling of the abdomen. Or just walking, stepping right, stepping left. And as we go on we give more and more intricate, more and more uh, complicated exercises. Because the mind becomes sharp. So this is for two reasons. One, because the mind becomes sharper and therefore uh, wanders, if not given a more difficult exercise to contemplate. And also because we want to develop the mind that much further. There's a simile given in the Visuddhimagga, the path of purification, which is an ancient sort of summary of the Teachings of the Buddha and explanation of the teachings of the Buddha. And he says, just like when you look at a candle and you see the candle, it starts burning from the top and when it gets to the bottom, it's gone. And you say to yourself, wow, that's impermanent. And you say, that's the burning of a candle. It's gone, it starts and it ends. But that's really looking at it in a very, very coarse way. When you want to understand the rising and ceasing, you want to understand impermanence, you have to look at the candle in more uh, fine detail. So an- another time you might look at the candle and see that, oh, now it's uh, a third of the way gone, now it's two-thirds gone, now it's gone. So you might look at it in pieces. Or you might look at it in smaller pieces, in little bits, until finally you look at it very, very, very close, and you see the strands burning, and you see the strands as you pull the, the, you see the rope being pulled apart, the wick being pulled apart into its little pieces, and burning up moment by moment by moment. The simile here is is with one's life. So someone might say, "Wow." Look at that person, they were alive and now they're dead. Or, look at me, I'm going to be dead someday, and therefore life is impermanent. But that doesn't really give you any insight or any wisdom. It's some sort of coarse wisdom, but it's not strong enough to really help you understand impermanence. Again, when you think about how before you were young, and now you're an adult, and later you're going to be old. This is another, uh, this is a much more detailed or a bit more detailed way of looking at it. And so you you break it up further and further and further, and you can break it up all the way to yesterday and today and tomorrow. And then you can go moment to moment to moment, and they say until finally you break the walking step up into six parts. And so this is where we get these parts of walking step. For beginners, we give you the first walking step, which is stepping right, stepping left. And then as you go on, we're going to give you more and more complicated walking steps until there's Altogether six pieces, which is udharana, sani sani which are the six words in Pali given to these six parts of the step. Sitting meditation is the same. We just give you more exercises um, as a training in something which helps you to develop your mind that much, um, that much more. So I don't think anyone should find any greater meaning than that. Um, Why they broke it up into six, I don't know. I think it was just sort of a logical um, classification of the different parts. Like when you lift the heel, that's the first part. When you lift the rest of the foot, that's the second part. When you move it out, that's the third part. Actually, the six steps in the Visuddhimagga are not exactly as we teach them. Um, But I don't think that I have to go into detail about why that is. Second question is why do you write the rule about not discussing practices with co students? This is because well discussing practices, well, if this was referring to, you know, teaching other meditators then certainly this is totally forbidden and this is something that can even possibly get you kicked out if you're if you're if you get into teaching others and and giving them advice about their practice and so on. It's something that we strictly don't allow for for many reasons. I don't think this is exactly what's being asked here, but I'll go into this first. Um, First of all, it's very unlikely that you know exactly how to teach if you haven't been trained as a teacher. Being trained as a meditator and trained as a teacher are two very different things. We have to spend many, many hours sitting and listening to um, another teacher teach before we can actually um, go, go off and teach by ourselves, you have to sit and listen for hours and hours and days and days and months and months before you can actually be qualified just to begin to, to give people advice. So I mean it, it's just so easy to give people the wrong advice, you think this is the right advice because you know the answer. But just because you know the answer doesn't mean you know how to give it to the person and how to give them something useful, and how to give them what they need. Sometimes it's quite different from what they want. The other thing is, even if you do know what you're talking about, they still don't, any good teacher would never advise a student who is practicing under a different teacher. They would say, go and ask your teacher. Just like a doctor would never prescribe medicine to a patient of another doctor. You have to choose one doctor or the other, because otherwise, even though the advice might be right, it's it's a different path and a different technique, or it's a different style. And so this this for sure is something that should be discouraged, unless it's a very technical issue, like you see someone, um, you know, closing their eyes when they walk, and so they're swaying all over the place. You can mention to them that you're as you understand it, you're supposed to keep your eyes open when you walk. But even that is, you might find that the results are not as you expect. Um, but here talking about your own practice with other people, this is what's much more common. We find meditators telling other meditators about their own practice, which is is still quite, a, quite harmful to the other person's practice. Because in general it creates expectation in their mind and comparison and worry and and distraction. Um, Oftentimes it will lead them to try and create the same state that they hear that you're experiencing. Often it will lead them to misunderstand their own states. It will lead them to become confused and and unsure about what is the path. If you're on the wrong path it's very easy to lead someone else on the wrong path. Um, And so we have a rule against this. because of the, the effect that it has on, on the other meditator. Uh, and because of the, the fact that it, they're not your teacher and they're not someone who, should, uh, you, sh- you, sh- who you should trust with your practice and, and seek advice from. Uh, and, be, and, and because you can spoil their practice. It's these two things. So I hope that answers those questions. That's about as best as I can do. Again, if you have more questions, please leave them in the box, either in Thai or in English. Just make sure I can read it. If I can't read it, I won't answer it. I can read Thai, that's no problem. So today's talk, I actually wanted to talk about walking meditation and sitting meditation. I give this talk often about what are the benefits of walking and sitting meditation specifically. The benefits of walking meditation, the Buddha gave five different benefits. And this is something that we should understand. people wonder, why do we do walking as well? First, a word on that. Many people think that the Buddha didn't practice walking meditation. They think this is something modern that has been invented. Actually, in the Buddhist time, not only did the Buddha walk, practice walking meditation, other, other wanderers of other sects and other religions also practiced walking meditation. And... I mean, as far as we have, in, we have written in the text, this is the case. We have the Buddha giving his own routine of how he would walk and sit all day. When he didn't have other things to do, he would just walk and sit all day in alteration. And then at night, he would spend the first four hours uh, from 6 to 10 p.m. walking and sitting. From 10 to 2 he would do lying meditation and with a bit of sleep perhaps but um, sometimes l- giving talks or, or teaching in the lying position and then at 2 a.m. he would get up and start walking again and walking and sitting for the, for the rest of the night and then in the morning continue, go for alms and continue with walking and sitting. And he gave the same advice to meditators. He said a monk should practice in this way walking and sitting for the whole day. And then at night you separate it into three parts. Six to ten, same thing, walking, sitting. Ten to two, that's your lying down period where if you want to sleep, you can sleep. Four hours, and you keep in mind the time when you're going to wake up. And then at 2 a.m. you wake up and start doing walking again. This is for someone who's very serious about the practice. This is the sort of the ultimate goal of a meditator is to get to this point. So walking meditation did play a big part. The Buddha said, and we have his words, what we understand to be his words, recorded that there are five benefits of walking meditation. Why he didn't have me- have monks just do sitting meditation. He even had prescribed um, the size of walking paths and uh, how, to, how to make a walking path and what how it should be made, how it shouldn't be made, and so on. So the five benefits that he said are, one, in it helps you to be patient and endure long, walking long distances. So nowadays, well, this might not be a big thing, but in that time it was big. The first one, walking long distance. The second one, enduring uh, hard work, or uh, just creating overall endurance. Number three, uh, the food that has been eaten will be able to be digested easier. Number four, sicknesses and ailments in the body will be uh, worked out and and aided and even may, may disappear. And number five, the concentration that comes from walking meditation lasts a long time, has a strength which lasts for a long time. These are the five benefits that the Buddha gave. So as I said, the first one is something that might not be of, of great benefit nowadays to many people. We think that walking long distances is uh, a pain anyway, and something that we wouldn't ever consider doing. In the Buddhist time it was a, uh, a big deal, and it, it's, it's kind of a shame that nowadays we feel this way, because actually walking is something very special. If anyone's ever done long walking, uh, you, it actually changes the way you look at the world instead of just whizzing by in a car. Uh, I know there were many philosophers who've written about this. Well, one philosopher, anyway, the philosopher I'm thinking of is Thoreau. Henry David Thoreau was a, a naturalist who, who talked a lot about walking, and he walked long distances. When I was in Thailand, I did a lot of walking. Uh, because I didn't touch money, I still don't, I don't touch money, so in Thailand sometimes it was... Um, the case that I had to walk from here to there, even in the city, uh, on the side of the highway, um, in the forest, uh, walked in many different situations. And you really l- look at the world in a whole different way. You see p- people working on the side of the road, they smile, you get to see cows, you see um, all sorts of m- many different things. And you look at the world in a whole different way and it, it helps you to come back to reality instead of just whizzing around, always thinking about where you're going next. It brings you very much back to reality. It's something that we should all consider an important part of the human life. Walking is something, it's it's one part of what we're built for. This body is uh, built to walk. And so it's something that, as I'm going to talk about it, it helps the the, um, the systems in the body, but... The walking meditation is something that allows you to do this sort of thing, allows you to walk long distances, where now we might always consider getting in the car and go just to go down to the end of the, the road. Once you do walking meditation, you find that walking long distances is actually a pleasure and something that um, you're, you're happy to do, which is great because it, help, it helps the environment, it helps our lives, it makes things easier, we don't have to rely on, on uh, these machines. In the Buddhist time, of course, it was necessary, and for monks it is necessary. Oftentimes, oftentimes during their their lives, they would have to walk long distances to see their teacher, just to go on alms round, and so on. But we can consider that nowadays this is maybe one of the, the, the lesser advantages. A greater advantage is the overall endurance that it gives us. And this is something that's useful for people, not just monks, uh, people living in the world who have to do wor- hard work, who have to work every day. <coughs> Something like med- walking meditation gives you endurance because you're forced to do the same r- repetitious motion again and again. Often people think that walking meditation is so silly because you're just walking back and forth for hour, hours and hours a day. You're not getting anywhere. Actually, this is a funny one because there's... Um, I read somewhere, there was a, a teacher, he said, you can think that, um, you're, you're, where are you going? The answer is, you're, you're walking to Nibbāna, you're walking to freedom. And as you walk back and forth, people say, "You know, where do you think you're going to go? You, you're walking to freedom. And he said, suppose you consider that, suppose you pretend that freedom from suffering is, is like a thousand kilometers away. And then you count how many kilometers you walk in, in, in a week or so on, when walking meditation. Then you can really feel happy because it's not actually that hard. You can actually get there. I don't know, a thousand kilometers or, or how, how long, how far. I um, suppose a thousand kilometers is quite, is quite a bit, but if you consider how much you walk, if, if it was, say, a certain number of kilometers away, Then after a while maybe a year two years or something you could eventually become totally free from suffering the Buddha said seven years at max Um, but but on the uh, on a more worldly level it it gives you a great amount of endurance because you're doing this repetitious motion and so it it helps you do away with things like boredom uh, agitation uh, distraction it helps your mind focus and calm down and and you know these people who say when you're all steamed up all riled up you should go and take a walk Well, there's a reason for that because this walking motion it's something that calms you down and, and gets you set on just walking and allows you to give up many many different things it's something that's actually quite difficult to do, and meditators who come here they find it much more difficult than the sitting meditation in the beginning. But then, as they as they practice on, sometimes they even find it easier than the, the sitting in the end, because it's something that uh, develops your your endurance and gives you a great amount of energy, uh, a great amount of, of of strength. It allows you to do any other thing. There's no nothing that can be as I guess, boring or uninteresting is just walking back and forth so that any work that you have to do, whether it be at at a job or at home or at school or so on, you're able to do it much easier um, without tiring, without becoming bored, without becoming disinterested. So this is a training. Again, these things are not meant to be fun or meant to be interesting. They're meant to be a training that changes the mind and gives the mind certain qualities that it doesn't yet have, that it's lacking. The third benefit is that the food that we've eaten will be digested better. And so for this reason, we often encourage meditators to uh, do walking meditation after they eat. Um, Because, of course, if we just sit sit around all the time, then our digestive system is is hard-pressed to work properly. Many people don't realize this. In the world, many people will, after eating, will lie down to sleep or so on. Especially we hear about people who eat dinner at 9 p.m., 10 p.m. and then don't do anything with it. Then they lie down and it just sits and rots in their stomach. Um, whereas if you, do, if you eat only in the morning and then you do walking afterwards, you'll find that your body is able to process it very quickly and make the best use of it and not just let it sit in the stomach and become rotten. It's something that uh, um, allows you to use the food to the best of of its to its um, best put it to its best use And so for this reason often you find you don't need to eat as much when you do meditation especially when you do this kind of walking and sitting meditation because you find that your body is able to use the food uh, quite efficiently Mm -hmm. and you find that you don't have uh, constipation that you don't have and this fatigue after you eat and so on so you're able to eat quite a quite a great amount at once and then it lasts you for the whole 24 hours the fourth one fourth reason is because walking meditation um, helps to do away with sicknesses so this of course is things like constipation but it's also this is just sort of a byproduct we're not here practicing because we have physical ailments, although many people use that as a reason to start meditating. It's not a terribly good reason, but um, meditation can be said to help the body in many ways. There are even, I've heard reported cases of meditation helping to cure cancer, and I'm kind of shying away from that now because I don't have my own um, proof or anything, and obviously any proof would only be uh, anecdotal. But the rationale is, and I think it's quite sound, is that meditation affects the body very much. It's something that loosens up the body. You can notice it, that the tension that you used to have in your shoulders or in your back is slowly done, actually it becomes very strong during meditation, until finally it's totally done away with. It's like it's working the kinks out. Just as when you'd have a, a massage, you'd find that it works the kinks out. Now the problem with a massage, the reason why it comes back is because the mind just creates the kinks again. As you work them out in the mind, uh, the body becomes very, 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 very uh, healthy. And very, very balanced and very, very much centered and back to, to its natural state. So I think there's nothing strange about the idea that it should cure many, many different sicknesses. Of course, starting with things like um, high blood pressure, high blood pressure um, maybe heart disease. Um, I even had a woman who had multiple sclerosis and I taught her how to do the walking meditation and she did it lying on her walker back and forth, back and forth, just pushing her legs as though she were um, swimming. And until finally she could walk without the help of any, you know, she was very, very uh, very adamant about doing it. And so in the end she was able to walk without a cane, without anything, back and forth in her living room. Um, so it's something that, that trains the body and brings the body back to a, a much more natural state. Of course, many things can't be cured and will not be cured through meditation. But I think it's possible that in some cases these, these things can even be, amel- can be ameliorated, ameliorated or even done away with. Um, but again, you, you can't quote me on that, it's just it, it makes perfect sense that, that a great many diseases would have and, and have been proven to be cured by meditation or helped by meditation. And many other diseases should be, um, it should be possible to help in certain cases, as w- in certain instances as well. Simply because of the effect that the body has on the mind to uh, take it out of that state which can sometimes create things like cancer or so on, it may be that certain types of cancer are created by this tension or are are built up by this. uh, Even they say cancer can be be made worse by eating the wrong foods because it gets stuck in the stomach and rots, and so how walking meditation helps to to get rid of that rotten food and, and digest it out, expel it out quickly. Rather than just sitting around all the time and let it rotting in the stomach, which some people say helps to create helps to make cancer worse, or I, I just, I've heard things about this and so it could also be used to prevent certain diseases, maybe even pre- prevent these incurable diseases. You know, who knows at any rate, it has been clinically proven to. To um, help with things like high blood pressure, which is pretty obvious, and most meditators can um, can verify that it helps with stress and the bodily stress and, and aches and pains. the fifth reason why we practice meditation is well, walking meditation is because uh, walking meditation has strong gives strong concentration stronger than the sitting meditation they say stronger in the sense that. Um, it has great energy, or it has great power. Uh, the walking meditation is like an easing into the sitting meditation, and the power that we gain from the walking, this sort of static charge, um, then carries on into the sitting meditation. You could, one way of looking at this is it's like a segue into the sitting. If you're just to sit down, uh, it's like you don't have this chance to to put the body in the right, posi- in the right state or sorry, put the mind in the right state. And so when you sit down, you might find that you're falling asleep because you have too much concentration and not enough effort. Or you find yourself becoming distracted and, and um, not, not being able to focus because you have too much energy and not enough concentration. When you walk, the walking helps to balance this out. And because when you're sitting, if you have too much concentration, you'll just fall asleep. But when you're walking, find that your concentration is balanced with energy, with effort. And when you feel tired, you're able to acknowledge it and not um, not fall asleep. Also when you have the, uh, when you're distracted because you have the freedom to move and because you're moving, your mind has more to think about and so it doesn't wander as much. Uh, walking can be a great benefit to one's concentration for this reason. So these are the Buddha's words on, on Walking meditation. I'd hope to get into sitting meditation, but I do want to keep these talks short, so I think we'll wait until next time to talk about the benefits of sitting meditation. And again, I encourage you to give me your questions or, or, or suggestions for talks if you have any. It doesn't mean you should sit there thinking of what to suggest, but if there's something you'd like to hear about, please do write it either in Thai or in English and put it in the box. So that's all for tonight. Now we'll continue with walking and sitting meditation. First mindful prostration, then walking, and then sitting.